This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Todd McComas, and today isn't just any other Thursday. Today is the first day of Black History Month. Not just a time to remember people and events from the past, but a vibrant, present chapter woven into the fabric of American history. A celebration that began in 1926 in a time when the wounds of segregation and systematic inequality were still fresh. Historian Carter G. Woodson chose February, encompassing the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two iconic figures in the fight for freedom. Woodson's creation was officially recognized in 1976 and grew from a week-long celebration to a full month dedicated to honoring and amplifying the voices of African-American scholars, activists, and other heroes who have shaped and continue to shape the course of history. So please do your part to honor these folks as well. Now let's catch up on some crime news you might not hear anywhere else. Here's Laura Benson. A statue with a story beyond baseball. A smackdown lawsuit. Unwanted visitors that won't stop partying. And a string of crimes from around the country with one thing in common. Ridiculously large quantities of meat. All this and more coming up today on This Day in Crime. I'm Laura Benson, and today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. Shout out to Todd for the great intro to the show today and the reminder that today kicks off Black History Month here in the U.S. I'm going to start out by highlighting an American cultural icon whose name has been in the news a lot this week. Jackie Robinson would have turned 105 yesterday. There has been a lot of news about the theft and vandalism of a statue of Robinson from a Kansas City park earlier this week. And though this is definitely shitty... The outpouring of support from people across the country following the theft has highlighted the power of Robinson's legacy and the values that he stood for. Jackie Robinson contributed not only monumentally to the world of American sports, but he set a precedent for desegregation and was a huge player in the civil rights movement. In case you missed it, a statue of Jackie Robinson went missing from a Kansas City park earlier this week and was found yesterday destroyed and burned in a dumpster beyond repair. Subjects have not yet been named, neither have motivations, but there is security camera footage that police are working with. As cops search for those responsible, the silver lining in this scenario is that there has been a huge outpouring of funds from the MLB and club baseball teams alike, as well as individuals on a GoFundMe to replace the statue, as well as fund ongoing youth baseball programs through League 42. League 42 partially operates out of the park and aims to provide an affordable baseball league for children in Wichita, Kansas. Over $150,000 have been raised in just a few days, so the good news is there are a lot of kids who are going to get to play ball with better funding now. This whole thing also gives me a good opportunity to talk about Jackie Robinson for a moment. It's a slight departure from the usual show, but hey, he was pretty cool. Robinson is primarily known as the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. He broke segregation in the sport when he was signed to the Dodgers in 1947. Previously, Black players had their own, completely separate league. 
What I didn't know is that Robinson was chosen as a pioneer in this way, not only due to his excellent skill, but also because of his previous activism. He had been drafted for service during World War II, but was court-martialed for refusing to sit at the back of a segregated army bus. He became a first in many areas in the sports and media world thereafter. He won the inaugural Rookie of the Year Award in 1947, was an all-star for six consecutive seasons, and won the National League Most Valuable Player Award in 1949, the first black player so honored. Robinson played in six World Series and was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. In 1997, the MLB retired his uniform number 42 across all major league teams. He was the first professional athlete in any sport to be honored in this way. Robinson was also the first black television analyst in MLB and the first black vice president of a major American corporation. So yeah, pretty amazing guy. It's lame his statue was stolen, but now hopefully you know a little more like I do about him. Happy birthday, Jackie Robinson. All right, all right. It's time for crime. This one comes from someone in sports who is a lot less upstanding. Vince McMahon, co-founder of WWE and executive chairman of WWE parent company TKO, resigned on Friday of last week from his role following accusations of sexual assault and trafficking by a former employee. Is that deja vu, I feel? The employee, Janelle Grant, filed a complaint in the U.S. District Court for the District of Connecticut what a mouthful, on Thursday against McMahon, World Wrestling Entertainment executive John Laurinaitis and the company. This is the second time McMahon has stepped down from leadership in the last few years. In 2022, he left his role after WWE launched an investigation into allegations that he paid a number of women millions of dollars to keep affairs and sexual relationships private. He quickly came back on board to help the company with a merger, hence why he has had to step down from the position again. In the extensive lawsuit, Grant, who worked in WWE's legal and talent departments, alleges abuse and sexual exploitation beginning in 2020, and the filing includes text message screenshots and other photos. Grant claims that McMahon forced her into a sexual relationship in order to obtain and keep her job, and passed around pornographic pictures and videos of her to other men, including other employees. McMahon claims, quote, Ms. Grant's lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene made-up instances that never occurred, and is a vindictive distortion of the truth. He further states that he looks forward to clearing his name. Betty, at this point, I'm not sure that's possible. You know, when we're putting the show together every day, there's a lot of news to choose from. So I like to comb through all the doom and gloom and find little themes to build these episodes. One of today's themes seems obviously sports-related, and the other one seems to be weird crimes involving lots of meat. Now, stay with me. Here we go. First up, two men in Houston, Texas, are facing multiple charges following an arrest on Thursday of last week for possession of drug paraphernalia and large amounts of pork and beef, about $500 worth. Sounds like they were planning to Cheech and Chong their afternoon away to me. This is actually the second time one of the men, 31-year-old Robert Stevenson, has made headlines for stealing large quantities of meat. In November of last year, Stevenson stole 46 packs of oxtails, briskets, and other meats, about $1,000 worth that time, from Foodtown grocery stores. He was out on a $2,500 bond for theft and has a scheduled court appearance on February 13th. So he's already paid more in bond for his first crime than what he stole in both of these. 
To make matters worse for the two gentlemen, the car that Stevenson's accomplice, Cornelius Davis, was driving was stolen. Davis was arrested for unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, and additional charges are pending for both men. In a weird twist, that is only one of two noteworthy meat thefts this week. Up north in Philadelphia, another, more large-scale meat heist took place. On Monday morning, just before 6 a.m., thieves stole multiple pallets of meat from two tractor-trailer freight trucks while their drivers slept in the front, waiting for the Quaker Valley food store to open for delivery. Apparently, it's common for trucks carrying refrigerated goods to park running to keep the fridge on, so the drivers did not hear the thieves enter the trucks and take the meat. Police Captain John Ryan told the local news outlet that the, quote, approximately four pallets of meat that were stolen were worth about $20,000. Remember the bonsai episode from last week? We've learned that in weird thefts, eight bonsai trees are approximately worth four pallets of meat. How many ATMs dragged down the street do you think that is? Anyway, police are investigating, and unfortunately, the city has seen a huge uptick in these types of crimes recently. In November, a similar theft of about eight grand worth of meat occurred in South Philly, and in October, $73,000 worth of crab meat was grabbed in a similar situation. In 2023, there were about 257 cargo thefts in Philadelphia alone. This is unfortunately becoming a tried and true method for acquiring large amounts of delicious refrigerated things. Don't you roll your eyes at me. I'm here to tell you about something awesome. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist June Parker on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Today's next meat-related story comes from Jefferson City, Missouri, a company that has been at the center of a controversy for months over what should be done with waste from Missouri meat processing facilities has reached a settlement with environmental regulators. Missouri residents have sued the state multiple times in an attempt to improve upon the storage and treatment of meat processing waste. Apparently, so-called meat sludge has been stored by Arkansas-based Denali Water Solutions in storage lagoons in various areas. They're basically big open pits in the middle of fields. Residents in the southwest and northeast parts of the state have complained that these storage lagoons lower property value due to intense smells, which have resulted in the closure of schools and restaurants. Citizens have also expressed concern about the welfare of the state's water supply when meatpacking waste leaks into waterways with no regulation. 
The good news is Denali will now be transporting the current and future meat sludge to water treatment plants and will have to conduct monthly safety tests for pathogens and heavy metals. Okay, in the final meat-related news of the day, here's one to put a smile on your face and rinse the stench of meat sludge right out of your mind's eye. A New Jersey woman woke up yesterday morning to find her home had been vandalized with pepperoni. Apparently, vandals, I'm assuming high school kids in this case, placed loads of hand-cut pepperoni around her porch, along her stairs, and a few trails out to her driveway, along the trim of her car, and on the car's hood. Heather Doherty, the owner who's lived in said pepperoni house for 16 years, reported that everything looked, quote, strategically placed. She was nervous that the paint of her car would be damaged from the oily pizza toppings, but all is well. Doherty acknowledged that the whole thing was funny, but technically, this is still vandalism and trespassing. Or maybe it's art. What would you do if you found an uninvited guest sleeping on your floor? Georgia woman Gwen Ketchum simply turned the lights off for the sleepy stranger she found in her spare room last week. Oh, and then called the cops. James Rayborn, 27, had eluded cops for multiple days after allegedly robbing a Roswell, Georgia bank on January 22nd. The day after the initial robbery, Rayborn's truck, which had been captured on surveillance footage, triggered license plate readers and police began a pursuit. In a pretty dramatic moment, Rayborn crashed his truck and ran, leaving a 29-year-old woman, Emily Browning, behind. Clearly not a gentleman. Browning was apparently also involved in the bank robbery and is also facing armed robbery charges. Seeking a spot to hide, Rayborn slipped unnoticed into Gwen Ketchum's home in Roswell the afternoon of Wednesday the 24th, while she was out of her house. She didn't notice anything until later that evening when she got up to check on a sound she heard from her home office. According to Ketchum, quote, I reached in and turned on the light, saw his legs right there, turned off the light, and left. So, without incident, she went to her garage and called 911. Rayborn was arrested, and Ketchum never felt the man had any intention to harm her. He had apparently also used her computer to attempt to book a rideshare, so he was trying to get out of there. Police are still investigating, but say Rayborn and Browning could be linked to several other armed robberies in the Atlanta area. Speaking of unwanted guests, a Beverly Hills real estate agent is grappling with quite the situation right now, claiming one of his for sale homes in the hills has been ravaged by squatters who turned it into a party house. John Woodward is the court-appointed broker managing a $4.5 million, 6,000-square-foot home in Beverly Hills that the alleged squatters moved into in late October. According to Woodward, someone went up to the property with a locksmith and illegally changed the locks and code. Then they began to lease the house out to several other people. Wow, I feel like I just learned so much on this show about what's possible. Want a mansion? Just go get one. You just have to find the right circumstances. This particular mansion was previously owned by an orthopedic surgeon, Munir Uwada, who fled to Lebanon after he was accused in the 2008 murder of his 21-year-old model girlfriend, Juliana Redding. It had then been owned and managed by MDRCA Properties, which went bankrupt in 2023. Hence why it just became an empty house, waiting for squatters to come take up residence. The squatters, Woodward believes, are earning up to $30,000 a month renting rooms and hosting large parties that they apparently charge $100 entry fees to. According to Woodward, the neighbors in this obscenely upscale neighborhood are not happy, and they've called cops on these folks upward of 50 times. He told press, and this is my favorite quote of the day, 
quote, they're having crack parties and laughing gas parties and orgies and all sorts of goings on up there. Now, Woodward has turned to local authorities for assistance to little success. The squatters drafted up a fake lease and police are calling it a civil matter. I wonder if Woodward will be able to get this house sold or if he'll even be able to show it to potential clients with the locks changed. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the weird ride we went on today. And if you want to dig into more shows this month as we celebrate Black History Month, Tenderfoot TV has a ton of awesome shows that amplify Black voices. Check out the MLK Tapes, Freeway Phantom, Radical, We Stay Looking, Someone, Atlanta Monster, and more. You can listen anywhere you get your podcasts or head over to tenderfoot.tv shows for more info. I hope you enjoyed This Day in Crime, and stay tuned tomorrow when Todd recaps the week for your Friday afternoon. This Day in Crime is a production of Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey, produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Sources for today's episode and full credits can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. We're back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.